Our text this morning is John chapter 20, 19 to 31. Here's what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my fingers right in, in where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. There was a petite elderly woman who came up to a preacher after a sermon, and she asked the preacher this question. Preacher, may I talk to you for just a few moments? Her name was Elizabeth, and as they sat down, she said this. I'd like to tell you something I've only told one other person. I told this to my husband, and he didn't believe it. In fact, he thought I was crazy. A long time ago, my husband had a heart attack, she said, and he was in the intensive care unit. They told me he would not live through the night. I was sitting next to him when I looked towards the door and saw this bright light in the doorway. I just knew. I just knew that it was death coming to take my husband. And she said, I stood up, put my hands out and said, no, you can't have him. And the light came closer to me. And again, I said, no, you can't have him. And the next thing I remember is the nurses picking me up off the floor. I guess I had fainted. But, you know, my husband made a drastic turnaround and he was out of intensive care in a day. He was out of the hospital in five days and he lived another five years before he died of another heart attack. I just know that I kept death from taking my husband. The preacher looked at her. Needing understanding more than comfort, the woman said, I just don't believe it. 
The preacher said, thank you for sharing with me. Then Elizabeth asked this, preacher, do you believe my story? And the preacher said, yes. She said, I don't believe it. Then with compassion and care, the preacher said, Elizabeth, did you ever think that the light you saw in the doorway that night, did you ever think that that was not death coming to get your husband, but Jesus? Jesus who had come to possibly heal him? And her eyes opened wide and she said, no, I never thought of that. Now think about that story for just a moment. Elizabeth, Elizabeth is all of us. You see, when something happens within our normal experience, we assume it is of God, or we assume that God could be involved. Here's some examples. How about that unexpected uh, gift card that comes uh, with an amount of $300 on it? Because the bills were too great for this month and you barely have money for groceries. And now you do because of this $300 gift card. God, when you're on your way to work and the stoplight on your morning commute seems longer than usual and you're frustrated that you have to wait so long. But once you get going again, a mile down the road, you see there was a major accident that you avoided because of the long light. God. Or maybe when you're in a dark place emotionally and you run into that friend you haven't seen in over a year and they speak life into your heart that breaks up the clouds of gloom to give you relief. God. But then there are the occasions when something happens outside our normal experience and we think, tend to think that must be evil. It, it, it makes us fearful. Well, that's what happened when Elizabeth experienced the light at the hospital. It had to be evil. It had to be death. She even said the words as she told the preacher the story. I don't believe it. The, that one phrase can have two completely different meanings, can't it? Listen to it again. I don't believe it. Uh, let's say you were the recipient of that $300 unexpected gift card that came at the perfect time when you need it. You come running up to your friends at church and you say, I don't believe it. What do you mean when you use that phrase? It's an expression of utter disbelief at the good fortune. At the good fortune you just experienced. I don't believe it. it. It's a way of saying this is too good to be true, right? Now let's go back to the story of Thomas. Thomas runs into the other apostles. And the apostles tell Thomas that they just saw Jesus. He's alive. And what does Thomas say? I don't believe it. Now, it's the same phrase, but what does Thomas mean? Thomas means that's not possible. That can't be. That's unthinkable. That's irrational. Thomas expresses unbelief. I don't believe it. Same phrase, and it can be an expression of disbelief or unbelief. Disbelief. Or unbelief. 
Take Stan's experience. As a child, he'd been severely beaten by his father, and he said, I remember that I was trying not to cry, and during the pain, suddenly, I saw Jesus as a child. Jesus was there, and he said to me, I know what it's like to be beaten. I am here with you. Then Stan said this, I just don't believe it, but a part of me knows that it was real. Think about this for a moment. How big of a step is it from, I don't believe it, disbelief, to I don't believe it, unbelief? The step from disbelief to belief, it's actually quite small. You see, disbelief is to be in absolute awe. Unbelief is to be in denial. It may be a small step from awe to denial, but it requires a giant leap of belief. Here's another story. Marianne is a young mother who commutes with her children back and forth to school every day. And as she drives, she often prays. Marianne says, I was driving to pick up the kids one day, and I stopped at the stoplight where I always stop. I looked up at a soft drink billboard. At the bottom, it said this, it's the real thing. Suddenly, out of nowhere, I had a sense of God's presence with me. I knew Jesus is the real thing in a way that I'd never known before. I just don't believe it. With this new insight into Jesus, what did Marianne mean when she says, I just don't believe it? Amazement. She's expressing awe. Then there's Douglas's story. Doug is a negotiator in the business world. And he's also a runner. He tells his story this way. He says, many times when I'm running, my work goes through my mind. Usually when I prepare for a negotiation, I have ideas in my mind of what I'm going to say and the approach that I'll use. Well, one of the negotiations was like a blank wall. I had nothing. All week long, I'd been looking at a blank wall with no idea how I was going to approach this. And then you know how sometimes when you run, you kind of move into another space, uh, another way of thinking? Well, that happened to me. On this particular morning, he says, I'd been thinking about this negotiation and how it still was a blank wall. And as I moved to this other space, as I ran, I had a tremendous sense of the presence of God's Spirit, and all my ideas fell together. It was as clear as anything for me. You know, there's a part of me that says, I just don't believe it. But there's another part of me that says, I just don't believe it. You hear the difference? Well, Thomas stands in disbelief. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where, where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. You hear it? Jesus must have heard Thomas's challenge because a week later, the disciples were in that same house again, the same one with the doors locked, just like last time. But this time, Thomas was with them. And like last time, it seems that Jesus just suddenly appears and he 
stands among his disciples. But this time, Jesus is here for Thomas. Verse 27 says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Now, I'm surprised by this, but Jesus complies with Thomas's request. However, Jesus seems to do for Thomas what he did for the other disciples earlier. Even though the other disciples were vocal about their unbelief, they were obstinate and unbelieving until they too had seen the risen Lord for themselves. Well, Thomas is just like the other apostles who did not believe until they saw Jesus. Unbelieving, denying Thomas. He takes the small step and became disbelieving, awed Thomas. Listen to Thomas's amazement in verse 28. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. You see, his new belief led to this, to his amazing declaration of Jesus' true identity, my Lord and my God. Bible scholar F.F. Bruce says, Thomas might have been slower than his fellow disciples to come to faith in the risen Christ. But when he did so, his faith ex was expressed in a language which went beyond any that the other disciples used. Isn't that interesting? Well, after this happened, Jesus blesses Thomas with these words in verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. It is a blessing that he says, but it's also a rebuke, a rebuke for Thomas and the other disciples. You see, they had all delayed their belief until they had seen the risen Lord. But to those the apostles will preach to in Acts, to those of us today who read God's word, those of us today who hear God's word preached, and Jesus, these incredible words, every time the scriptures are opened, we are repeating this scene as we come to believe. Every time the gospel is preached, we are re replicating a moment wherein the disbelieving ones are greeted by their unbelievable Lord. Every time we listen to God's word, we are welcomed by the resurrected Christ who brings us to his wounded side and hides us there to deepen our belief to become amazement. You see, we have not seen Jesus, but we believe. Whenever God's word is opened, doubting Thomases of all ages are invited to put their hands in Jesus' wounds and to be made to believe again in his all-sufficient atonement for us. The power of the resurrection and the promise of redemption are found in the persistence of Jesus' scars on his hands and feet and in his side. All of us face moments where we find it difficult to take that small step from the denial of unbelief to the amazement of disbelief. How can we keep taking the step towards the amazement of disbelief? Let me share with you Chuck Swindoll's advice. He gives four things we can do. Number one, he says this, remember that we grow by risking and failing not by always playing it safe. Church, 
Never be fearful to trust God. Overcoming unbelief means we must live by faith and not by sight. With that said, let me take some pressure off of you. Faith takes risks, which means we won't always live by faith perfectly. What I'm trying to say is this, I will fail, you will fail, but remember this, failure isn't fatal. Like with Thomas, failure is simply a step in learning to live by faith. Here's the second thing Swindoll says. We grow by questioning and probing what is uncertain, not by mindlessly swallowing someone else's answers. What's he mean by that? He means pursue the truth of what God says in his word. After you read scripture, ask the Holy Spirit to impress upon you what God wants you to do. And also talk with other believers about what God is teaching you. You see, we learn from one another, which is why faith was intended to be lived in community. You can't do it alone. Here is number three. We grow by admitting and struggling with our humanity, not by denying our limitations and hiding our fears. You see, just as Jesus was understanding about Thomas's unbelief, God understands when we find ourselves cornered by situations where unbelief creeps in. But instead of doubting God, doubt your disbelief. We've experienced uh, in God's word and in our own lives the truth of God's promises. So keep trusting God, even when you don't understand, even when you have doubt. There are many stories that we could tell about unbelief and disbelief, and time won't allow for it. But the stories you've heard this morning were told so you may believe that God continues to break prison doors of unbelief. God continues to capture people during their prayers. God continues to force us to look at the flesh in which we live, to look at the experiences we encounter every day. God continues to call us in our disbelief. Church, may these stories and the story of Thomas help you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through believing that you may have life in his name. To God be the glory. Amen.